Let's talk about anger. Anybody want to talk about anger? Some of you would just rather not. Uh, Some of you, I said that and you got angry. Because you don't want to talk about your anger. You like your anger. You've gotten used to it. It's like a nice pair of jeans. You've worn it in. Anger is a part of everybody's life. Can anybody agree with that? Some of you are sitting here and be like, oh, great, he's going to talk about angry or being angry. I'm not angry right now. Oh, you will be. Maybe by the end of the sermon even. But, uh, uh, but eventually, anger is going to find you. It finds us everywhere. It's the result of living in a broken world. All right? You can't, you can't live in a world where sin exists and not get frustrated and even angry sometimes. It's just there's lots of injustice out there. There's lots of mistakes being made by ourselves and by people around us, and anger is the result. Frustration and anger is the result. I was out with Eleanor. Sometimes it's trivial stuff. I was out with Eleanor at the mall the other day, just so you can be impressed by your pastor and his infinite uh, wisdom. Uh, uh, I was trying to find my car with the help of the key fob. Anybody ever done this? You get in those long lines, you know, and, and, and you know, we're living in a golden age where you can hit a button and your, your car will make noise. So I'm trying to do that, right? <clears throat> it's like two, three minutes, and I'm, I know it's in this row somewhere, and my car's not making the noise. Furthermore, my, my, my visuals, I'm not finding it until finally Eleanor, who's kind of, I think she was on the phone. She wasn't really paying attention. She was just waiting for me to find the car. That's my role. Um, she looks up and she says, Mark, it's right there. I was standing next to the front driver's side door of our car. Here's what had happened. I thought we drove the truck. <laughs> who's done this? Anybody done this? So I am just mashing the truck fob button, trying to find my truck as I'm standing next to her car. It's a very American story, all right? Most of the world would not identify with this. But even that little thing, three minutes, all it took for me was three minutes of pressing the fob and not getting any results, and I was getting mad. And then I felt like an idiot because I was one. Sometimes we get, you know, frustration and anger from little stupid stuff like that. We get over it fast, but sometimes, sometimes we get hurt. And anger sets in. And it kind of just takes up residence and even controls us. And that's the anger that I want to talk about. It says in the Bible to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. We're going to read that again later in the sermon. But it's a great place for us to start because anger, it's going to happen. Most of us get over the stuff that makes us anger are angry pretty fast. But there's some things that we get angry about. Well, they take root. It, it, when, it, when anger takes root, it's called bitterness. And when bitterness becomes a part of your life, you start acting with malice. If you've ever read those terms in the Bible. They are the product of undealt with anger, bitterness, and malice. I was uh, born to a guy uh, that I deeply love. That's been uh, gone for about four years now. Four years ago in April. And uh, I've talked to you about my relationship with my father. I don't know many guys who um, don't have some kind of situation or issue with their dad growing up. And I had mine, certainly, uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, And I was about 25 years old. And it was really starting to um, mess with my mind in in deeper and and more uh, insidious ways. And so uh, I, I, I praise God for this, that God one day while I was having a quiet time in the office that I was working in as a youth pastor, uh, that he uh, whispered in my ear through the Holy Spirit and said, hey, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with your anger. You can't stay mad at your dad. It's going to wreck you. And so on that day, I walked down the, uh, the hallway. He happened to work at the same church. 
And uh, I walked down the hallway. I had a five-minute conversation. Wasn't that weepy or, you know, uh, super emotional. It was very straightforward. But uh, I walked into his office, an angry son, and I walked out a free man because I dealt with my anger, confronted it, confessed it, uh, and then sought God's help in uh, being free of it. And, and I walked out of that room light. Uh, and, and that's what I hope happens here today, that people, you're going to get angry. I hope you handle it well when it comes. We'll talk about that from the text we're going to read. But if you, if you are living in anger, if anger has taken root in your soul and there's bitterness and malice as a result, I pray that today is your day to be free from the anger that controls your life. God wants to do that for you. He wants to set you free. Even if you are angry, his grace is upon you. We're going to see in the story today as well. And he wants you to be done with it so that you can get on with what he has for you in life and you can give him the glory that he's due. That's the big, the big end game. So let's talk about anger, shall we? Shall we? Let's start with the story. Here we go. <clears throat> Genesis, Genesis, not John, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. That's what you think it means. And she conceived and bore Cain. If you weren't clear, hope that is now. Uh, and, she, and, and Eve said this, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She wasn't talking about going on a dating website and, you know, uh, how she wooed Adam. That's not, she, she's saying, I, I, actually other translations, this word is, is translated, I created a man. Now we know God creates all of us and we're all the uh, creation of God. But God creates humanity uh, in the laboratory that is the woman. Would everybody agree with that? Typically that's how it's happened. Uh, and so she is rejoicing with the fact that she is able, with God, uh, to be a part of creation uh, in bringing forth this son, Cain. And it says again, she bore his brother, Abel. So she has another baby and calls him Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Uh, he was a shepherd. And uh, Cain was a worker of the ground. He was a farmer, just like his dad. Uh, and that's kind of how they lived their lives. Now, it tells us in the, in the story of Genesis that Adam lived to be 930 years old. Um, There's probably other children that aren't mentioned that were born and and we're a part of Adam and Eve's uh, 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 family. Uh, we don't know how old Cain and Abel are when this next part happens, but here it comes. Here we go, verse 3. Uh, in the course of time, it says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. I'm going to finish, finish reading these uh, two or three verses. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So... Cain was what? Very angry. Not kind of angry, little miffed. Furious. Very angry. And his face, it says, fell. Now let's just go back. We can go back to verse 3. I'm just going to walk through these things real quick. In verse 3, it tells us, in the course of time. This basically means in Hebrew that this was uh, an expected thing that was coming up. It was uh, according to the schedule. All right? So we don't have this whole... Um, explanation of how people worshiped God back then, but apparently sacrifice was a part of it. And it was a scheduled sacrifice. So it was expected of people to bring uh, to God uh, a portion of what they had received from God as, a, as an offering of gratitude and thanks to God. And so Cain and Abel were doing that. Is everybody with me? Now it says that Cain brought to the Lord what kind of offering? An offering. It was fruit because that's what his job was. He was a Apparently an orange, orange farmer or something like that. Strawberries. Hey, strawberries. Plant city. Okay. So he brings some of the fruit that he's farmed, 
but it's, it, there's no mention of the, of the, there's no specificity of the fruit. It was just some of the fruit. He had a, he had a, a sacrifice scheduled, and so he brought some stuff. As we're going to see, it wasn't adequate. Because here, and even in this text, it tells us that Abel also brought uh, to God a sacrifice, but it was the firstborn of his flock. And it was the fat portions of his flock. Now picture it like this, like I'm sure Abel had more sheep than this, but if he only had two, and one was like this really, uh, you know, fat, you know, stud of a sheep, would have fed him for a long time, and then he had this scrawny kind of, you know, nasty sheep. Uh, he had to choose between the two, and he chose the very best sheep that he had, and he brought that sheep as a sacrifice to God. Cain brings some fruit. Abel brings his best as a sacrifice to God. So the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. God blessed the offering of, of Abel. And it says uh, that he didn't bless the offering of Cain. Why? Because it wasn't the right thing. If you uh, go out to lunch after this, you go get a, you know, a bowl uh, at uh, Chipotle. Recommend it. Still, even after all the scares, still good food. <clears throat> Just you're rolling the dice anywhere, everywhere you go, right? Come on, seriously. They didn't, you didn't see him make it. You don't know what happened. Hey, have a great lunch. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so you, you go and get your lunch, and you get to, to the register, and uh, they, they ask you, you know, hey, that's 20-something dollars for you and your wife and whatever to eat, whatever it costs. And you say, you know what? I don't have money, but I'd love to give you my right shoe. Can I use that as legal tender today? Okay, don't get mad at the person behind the cash register when they say no, because that is not a right offering for what is required of this situation. You've you got to pay with a the, with the card or with dollars or whatever, but you can't pay with your shoe. So don't be mad at God or don't think that God's being capricious or uh, you know, showing favorites. There was a right offering fit for God, and Cain didn't bring it. And so that does, does it say that God comes down and he smacks Cain, kicks him right in the leg, says, come on, bring me the good strawberries. Is that what he says? No, it just says that God rejected the offering of Cain, and it was just in him doing so because it wasn't a suitable offering. So what's what's Cain do with his mistake? Because whose mistake is it? It's Cain's mistake. What's he do with it? He gets mad, and he contorts his face. I don't know what happens when you get mad. Does your face change? I would always try to hide my anger with my kids, but they said even as I was smiling, they knew I was mad because I would get kind of maniacal with my smiles. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'd be looking right at my kids, and I'd be so mad. I'd be like, I'm going to suggest that you get to your room right now so that I can have a further conversation with you after I calm down, okay? That's, what I would, that's how I talk to my kids, and they still make fun of me. I knew Dad was mad when he was smiling at me. I was like, oh, bummer. <laughs> But our faces change. Our head will dip. Our brows will furrow. Our teeth will clench. And that's what happened with Cain. He was so mad he couldn't even keep it from his face. Cain, like so many of us, uh, the problem started because Cain, after his mother and father sinned, he was full of me. Self-absorbed, we call it today. We are uh, on a mission to support and comfort and worship in some forms of uh, of mine, ourselves. That's what sin has brought. Sin brought a sense of self. And so 
Uh, sin happens all the time in just even little ways. You, you, you uh, worship yourself or push yourself ahead of everybody else and even God sometimes in all kinds of ways. For example, have you ever gotten a pizza at your house and you were the first one to open the lid of the pizza and everybody's hungry, but you, you know you're hungrier than everybody else. And so you look down at how the guy cut the pizza, you know, eight slices, right? But it's never equal. There's always bigger slices of pizza, right? And there's always two of them because I think math works that way, that if you cut it this way on the one side, it's going to be that way on the other side, right? So I'll confess this even if you won't. I'll get the paper plates out. I'll start doling out the pieces of pizza for my sons and daughter and my wife, and I'll give them, well, she definitely needs that, you know, and then, uh, you know, well, he's going to get this, and, he's, and I don't like him right now, so he's getting that really skinny one, right? So, and, and you dole out all the pieces of pizza, and then you come to the table, and your two honking pieces of pizza barely fit on the plate, and everybody's looking at you like, what? And you're like, hey, dude, I got the, I got the, I bought the pizza, right? And I... I got to piece out the pizza because it's all about, everybody with me? Me, right? Happens all the time. It's just the condition of our heart. Now, what God wants to do, if you're kind of new to the story here, is he wants to save you from you. And he wants you to get your focus back on what your focus is always meant to be on. Even since you were created, he wants your focus to be on him, right? And this is the tug of war that we have between our old selves and our new selves. Am I going to worship or am I going to worship? Now, Abel comes to this required sacrifice, and what's he choose? I'm going to worship God. I'm going to give him my very best. I'm not going to worry about me. But Cain comes to the sacrifice. He says, I'm going to worship me. I'm going to give God those ratty strawberries I picked a couple weeks ago that are already too soft. They're kind of in the fridge, just dripping. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there, right? I'm going to give those to God, and I'm going to keep the best berries for me because he's all about me. Now, he sins. He sets himself up ahead of God because he's all about himself. <clears throat> and then what he does as a result of that is he compounds that initial failure of self-worship with God and Abel blame. Follow me on this? He, he's, he's feeling uh, that he's been, uh, um, you know, Rejected by God. He was, justly, covered that, right? But instead of him seeing his own error, what does he do? He looks around and he sees all the other people who could possibly be blamed for this. He's angry at God for rejecting him. He's angry at Abel because Abel was received by God. He's jealous of him. And he lets his anger turn him away from his own sin. And he focuses it on other things that won't bring restoration. It says in verse 5, here we go, Cain was very angry and his face fell. I quoted this in my opening, but here it is on the screens in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is one of the only verses in all of Scripture where it gives a command And then it gives us added warning about the presence of evil in your life, the devil coming into your life. If you don't deal with anger properly, immediately and efficiently, then then the devil has this opportunity to get inside your life and to blow things up in ways that are just going to bring a mess to you and those around you. you you got to take this so seriously, what I'm talking to you about, and handle your anger in in an honorable and godly way. Because uh, 
uh, when, when you get angry and you, you do sin, it's like your garage door. It's like, it's, like, it's like anger is. Anger is like a garage door opener. Isn't that great that we have those now? Right? Every once in a while, Eleanor and I will uh, either get home at the same time in our cars or she'll be coming out of the garage and trying to open the door from the inside with the garage door opener as I'm coming into the house and I'm trying to open it. Has anybody ever had this? It's like a dueling garage door opener war. Does anybody ever know what I'm talking about? So I open it and she hits it to open it, but it shuts it. And so, well, I see it shutting, so I don't want to run into it. So I open it again, but she's, she's like, oh, it's shutting. So I need to, and, and we just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Isn't that how it is with anger? With anger, uh, we get really mad if initially and we're about to say something really stupid because that door's opening and here comes the devil, right? But then we're like, no, don't say that. It's going to make a mess. And we start shutting the door. But then she says something stupid or he says something stupid. And we're like, well, wait a minute. I can't let that go. And so we start opening the door again. You know what I'm talking? But then the Holy Spirit says, no, seriously, don't do that. It's going to make it worse. We're like, okay. I'll... Then, but then she goes to that one thing, that one thing that she should never go to. And she says it. And all of a sudden, wha-bam, it's open and off we go. Isn't that how your arguments go? I tried. But you just know how to push all my buttons. I had no choice but to match your anger with my anger. And now we rest in the rubble, right? Let's learn from Cain and his mistakes. What what did Cain's mistakes teach us about handling anger? Three things, maybe four if we have time. Here we go because they never do. Here we go. When anger arrives, anger's going to come. When anger arrives, got to keep things in proper perspective. Uh, my mom said this all the time growing up, don't make a mountain out of a, yeah. Uh, I never understood molehills until, you know, later in life. But, oh, don't make something big that should remain small. Look what God says to, to Cain. He's trying to help Cain not make a mountain out of a molehill. The Lord comes to Cain and he says, hey, why are you angry? Why, are you, why is your face all messed up? What's your problem? Uh, you don't get this, do you? I'm the one that should be angry. I'm the one that you brought a, a subpar sacrifice to. This is on you, Cain. Why are you so angry? He's trying to bring perspective. Another one of my mom's favorite sayings is, what is truth? What is truth? When you come to situations in life, pause for a second and try to figure out what's really going on here. Cain didn't do that. He just got mad. And so God is trying to bring Cain, a reality check. Hey, bro, what's going on? Why are you mad? You, sh- you don't have any reason to really be mad. I can understand you being disappointed. And listen, I rejected your sacrifice. Everybody get this. This is a little sermon sidebar. But everybody get this. If God brings consequence, like rejecting a sacrifice or, or, or not bringing about something that you were hoping for, when he, when he allows seemingly negative things to happen in your life, they're always for a purpose. Why did he reject Cain's uh, sacrifice? Because it was inadequate. And he wanted Cain to get back in line with the things that would honor him and God and his relationship with God. That's why he didn't just say, well, I'll take it anyway. No, there's a way that this should go. And he wanted, he wanted Cain to know that and get back on that. It was, he, was doing, he was rejecting Cain for Cain's sake, right? And he's trying to get Cain to see that. But Cain's not about that. He's going to make a mountain out of a molehill. He's going to take something that could have been for his good and turn it all for the bad. And God says, don't do that. We do that all the time. There's this book uh, we read as a staff <clears throat> called uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. 
Getting Out of the Box. Uh, it's this great book. I can't say it's a spiritual book because it doesn't have any verses in it, but it's a great book that teaches this premise that when you get mad at people, uh, you go inside a box with them. And from inside the box, you can't really see them clearly. You can't, you can't see any identifiable good in them. And it's just this black shadow, this darkness that rests over every thought you have of them. So <clears throat> that when you come to someone that you're in the box with, uh, your immediate response, your, your default reaction to them is negative. It's anger. You're, just, you're, just, you're loading up so that you can just blow up. They tell a story of this, this mom who had a teenage son who had disappointed her. No duh. Teenage sons disappoint their mothers. Never happened, right? But he, he's disappointed his mom to the point where she's hurt and she's not over the hurt. And so now every time they have an interaction, it's, it's, the, it's the preamble to war, all right? Because her assumption is it's not going to go well. He's going to defy me again. Well, one night he asks for the car. And the, the son takes the car out and, and, and she gives like what is a restrictive, you know, a less than normal uh, curfew time. Because uh, she doesn't like the kid, <laughs> deep down. Uh, she doesn't want him to have a good time. She's mad at him. So he tells him to be in at 11 instead of 12. And then she just gets ready the whole night that this kid's out to start yelling at this kid when he invariably comes home at 11.15 because he's going to just defy her again. She's already getting mad. She's figuring out how she's going to ground him. The kid comes home at 10 to 11. He walks in happy for a great night out with his friends, hands his mom the keys, graciously thanks her, tells her that he, you know, puts some gas in the car. She doesn't hear any of it. Why? Because she spent the whole night being angry at what she thought her son was going to do. And when he didn't do it, she still unloaded him like he had. Can't believe you're in early. What'd you do? Anybody been there with someone in your life? Where everything you do is met with suspicion? Because there's no way that you could possibly do something good because you're not. Because I'm mad at you. That all comes from us blowing out of proportion the things that are happening in our lives. And God says, hey, stop. Anger's going to happen. Just don't make stuff bigger than it is. Keep things in perspective and honor God. Be angry, do not sin. Second thing is this. When anger boils, slow down. Choose well. When I, listen, everybody gets to the point where they're going to you know, open the garage door. When that happens, slow down. Who's ever been told this? When you're, feeling, when you're starting to feel like you're going to blow up, count to what? Ten. I don't know why ten's the magic number. I don't know why it's not fifteen. Some of us need like 50. You know what I'm talking about? But what, what's, what's that adage about? It's about slowing down. It's about getting back to seeing what really is happening here and not blowing things out of proportion. Here's what God says to uh, Cain. He says, if you do well, this is so great. He, he, he brightsides them. Who's the offended in this conversation? God. What's he done so far? He's just tried to help. Isn't that his nature? That while we were still sinners, he demonstrates his love for us in sending Christ to die for us. That while we rebel against him, he constantly seeks us who are lost. While I mean, that's just God. He's, he's awesome. He's, our, he's, a, he's a God who wants things to be right with us. And he wants things to be right with Cain. And so he says, hey, Cain, listen, dude, if you do well, will it not be accepted? Hey, bro, this isn't the end. I, I did what I did so you can learn and so that the next time this happens, you can do well and it'll be well. This isn't an ender. I'm not rejecting you for all time. I'm trying to teach you. Learn from me. And let's move forward. 
Who's ever had to do this with your kid? You punish them and they think their life is over. It's like, hey, bro, no. The grounding will end Saturday. This is all so that you can learn not to be the little jerk that you are, right? And, and maybe that's not how you say it, but that's, you know. But, the, but you're, you're just trying to help this kid understand, no, I'm, I'm for you. And the reason, you know, this is all for this. Everything to be, is going to be better. It can be better. I hope it's better, God says. But then as any good father would do, he says, but listen. Even though I'm hopeful for this turning out the best, I've got to warn you about the worst. He says, if you do not do well, if you take this point in your life's journey and you don't deal with anger, if you do not do well, you've got to understand, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire. It's the same word that, uh, in Hebrew that was used of Eve that said uh, when God was punishing Eve, he said to Eve, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. Same axiom, same kind of relationship here. He says, your desire, or its desire, sin's desire is for you. It wants to rule over you. But you must rule over it. It's a war. And it said, this is so great. It says that sin is crouching at the door. Does anybody remember what uh, Peter said about uh, Satan? Satan is like a roaring what? Lion. I don't know about you, but I love watching Nat Geo or Animal Kingdom. And when the lions come on, the big cats go hunting. They're so great because they're not the fastest. They've got to depend on stealth. These big, huge animals have to get down to on their bellies almost and just kind of crawl like a, like a marine through the grass so they can get close enough to this prey so they can get it. And as when they get close enough, that's when they spring and pounce. And that's, that's how God describes Satan in the New Testament and sin in the Old Testament. It's this, this animal of prey, and it's trying to get you. And you've got to guard against that. When I would play basketball in high school and college, I had no problem uh, with my desire to shoot the basketball. Never saw, saw a shot I didn't like, okay? Uh, and, I, and I did that because everybody knows uh, that, you know, the guys who score the points, they get all the pub. They get all the love, right? They're, they're the ones who are lauded at the end of the game. My coach never had to once tell me to shoot the ball. Never once came out of his mouth. Saunders, shoot. No, not a problem, coach. Got that. What did my coach have to tell me to do? Well, passing would have been good, too. We'll accept that. <laughs> but the, Why'd you say that? <laughs> my coach always told me to get back and play defense. Defense wins games. I mean, you can score all the points in the world, but if they score one more point than you, you lose. So you've got to keep them from scoring as much as you do. That's, that's how you win the game. And if you've ever been on a losing team, they probably couldn't play defense. And so my coach would just yell, scream, get back! Play some D! When it comes to the spiritual life, I think our Heavenly Father's yelling the same kind of thing. Except it's not play defense, it's pray defense. Pray defense over this thing. What, what, how's the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer go? I messed it up in the first hour. Let's see if I remember this time. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy king, you can say it with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so people, okay. And then, so we forgive those who trespass against us. And then what? Lead, here, everybody say it again. Lead us not. Deliver us from what? Jesus has one shot to teach his disciples to pray. Talks about honoring God, thanking God, asking God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need, God, right? 
Help us to forgive those that need forgiving just as you forgive us. Huge, another sermon, another day. But then he says, hey, every time you pray, you ask God to keep you from the temptations that will make a mess in your life, deliver you from the evil that is just crouching there, waiting for you in the weakness of your angry emotions to make a mess of your world. Who's been there? You got mad, you lost your mind, you turned the sign over to me, and off you went, taking what could have been something that could have been positive in your life, and you make it the bomb that goes off in your life. Oh, Christians, soon-to-be Christians, if you can only learn this, nothing good comes from your anger. Nothing good comes from a sinful anger that seeks to serve self. Slow down, choose well, and then finally, when anger boils over, go to God the right way. Go to God the right way. Let's watch Cain continue to just make things worse. Here we go. In verse 8, we get the first murder in history, at least recorded. It says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, uh, Cain rose up against his brother, uh, Abel, and he killed him. I think a lot of people think that he strangled him with his hands. We're going to find out that his blood was in the field. I think he bludgeoned him and Cain bled out. doesn't matter. Uh, That's not the point of the story. But it's the first fratricide, brother-on-brother crime. Cain kills Abel. Don't forget, though, what does he kill him for? His own sin. He brought an insufficient sacrifice. He got jealous of his brother. He got angry at his God. And this was his best way of dealing with it. Anger makes a mess. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, uh, (laughs) this is so great. Hey, where's your brother Abel? Remember the previous chapter when, when God came to his parents, Cain's parents? Hey, guys, where are you? Hey, come on out. Let's have a talk. Does God know where Abel is? Yeah, he knows. He's God. He's not looking for information. He's, he's trying to give this bonehead dude an opportunity to come clean. And he says to Cain, hey, where's your brother? Here's what Cain says to God. What did his parents say to God? Oh, it was her fault. It was the snake's fault. Man, the woman, you. Okay. Cain doesn't even try to deflect his sin. He just flat out lies to God and then dismissively and flippantly uh, disregards God. <laughs> Watch this and see if you don't get mad. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, one time I was watching uh, you know, a, a mom in some public setting and her kid sassed her in such a way that the papa in me rose up. Anybody ever been there? I'm like, if she doesn't do something, I am, I'm tap, just tag me in. I am ready. Because <laughs> I don't care who that kid is. You're the authority, and he has, no, I mean, it's just ingrained in us. Everybody understands that there's, there's this God vacuum in us, and there's just certain things that we know are right and wrong. And when we see someone who is in a position of submission, uh, giving it to someone who's in a position of authority, that, that hacks us off. Should, because that's how this works. There's submitters and the, the ones who are submitted to. And God, just so we're, not, so we're clear on that, he's top of the pile. Okay? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, one day or sooner uh, than later. 
uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God is God. But, but still, since sin has come into the world, it's just emboldened these created beings, us imago days, to just say some of the stupid stuff and do some of the stupid stuff in terms of our relationship with God that could ever be done. Cain has the fortitude to lie to God and then tell God to take a hike. I don't know where my brother is. And hey, it's not my job to watch him. Isn't that your job? I don't know how he survived that one, to be honest with you. Again, if I was God, zap. (laughs) Bye-bye. Pile of dust. That's Cain. Would have been a totally different story, but that's not how it turns out. Now, God's not just going to let it go. Look what he says. The Lord said, hey, what have you done? I think the tone changes here. Maybe some thunder and lightning for effect. I don't know. But what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood, like if blood could speak, it's crying to me from the ground. I know what you've done. Do you know what you've done? I don't think Cain was really clear. God goes on and he he says this. He says, and now you're a curse from the ground. This is your punishment. I told Adam last chapter that it was going to be hard, but it's going to be really hard for you. Your curse from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. He goes on and he says this. He says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive. And this is the, this is the hard part. This is what gets Cain. He says, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You're out, brother. You're done. You're not, you're not hanging out here with Adam and Eve who have my protection. and You've you got to leave. You're gone. This is what finally breaks Cain's anger. Uh, not, now, again, we're going to read his reaction here. But Cain's not sorry for killing his brother here. He's sorry for the punishment or, or regretting the punishment that God has given him for killing his brother. Never confesses that he messed up in killing Abel. But he's going he's gonna to come and be like, ah, well, let's just read what he says. He says this. Cain says, verse 13, oh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. <laughs> I can't stand it, God. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry that you're punishing me so harshly. Verse 14. Behold, you have driven me today from away, away from the ground, so I, I'm not going to be able to farm. I'm going to probably die starving. And from your face I shall be heaven. I, I'm not going to be in your presence anymore because you love my parents and you don't love me. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me, they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. <laughs> Again, if I'm God the Father, here's what I'm saying. Should have thought of that before you opened your mouth there, bro. Should have listened to me back in verse 7. I told you, if you do well, it'll go well. But if you, if you choose poorly, sin's crouching at the door, and it's going to rule over you. Sorry, bro. Yeah, you're going to die. I'm just making it a slow one. You're not going to know when. That's how I would have done it. Want to see how God does it? And, and rejoice in this. Everybody in here who has uh, kind of blown up your life a little bit by anger, rejoice in this next fact. Look what it says. God always loves. God never leaves, even when we blow it. Some people say that there's no evidence of grace in the Old Testament. They don't talk about it, and there's teachings and all that stuff. I'm like, what are you reading? 
You kidding me? Adam and Eve rebel against God. Sure, he punishes them, but he doesn't erase them. He grants them grace. He clothes them from animals that uh, he kills himself. It's this picture of his sacrifice over and over again, even in the wake of our sin. He comes to Cain. Cain has killed his brother with his bare hands. He's guilty. God has levied his punishment. But he hasn't forgotten Cain. His love remains even as his justice is let out. Look what it says. God says this to him. He says, not so. You're not going to die. In fact, if anyone kills you, uh, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. This is like a hear ye, hear ye. Everybody who's thinking of messing with Cain, everybody who's thinking of getting back for him, on him for what he did to Abel, because there was probably brothers and sisters in this time who were like, yeah, we're not letting this go. He says, I'm going to visit the same punishment that you seek to inflict on Cain sevenfold. You're going to lose seven of your own kin if you take Cain's life. And then the Lord puts a mark on him. Some people think it was like a tattoo, like Mike Tyson's maybe. I don't know. Some people think it was like a haircut. Like literally, they think like he had the first mohawk or something like that, and that's how everybody knew not to mess with Cain. Some people think it was an animal, like a, 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 an alarm system that God gave, like a dog or something, that every time somebody would come and want to harm him, this animal would protect Cain. I don't care what it was. All we need to know is that it was from God. And God, in his grace, sought to protect and provide for someone who had disregarded him in his sacrifice, who had allowed anger and his love for self trump his love and worship of God, who had chosen to kill his brother, and who had chosen when confronted with that choice to basically give God the bird. People come to me all the time. They say, oh, Mark, I've just done too much. It's gone too far. I've outsinned the grace of God. Look at me. Hear me. Not possible. His grace is extreme. It goes anywhere that you've gone, and it seeks to bring you back. So now, may you and I live this life, which is going to bring anger. We're going to get frustrated. People are going to hurt us. But may we live this life in anger but not sinning. When anger comes, may we be able to identify what's really going on here and not make a mountain out of a molehill. When we feel the emotions really boiling over and it could go zig or zag, May we, by the grace of God, remember that he's with me and my job is to think about him. Flip the card. Think about him and not about me and my petty vengeance. And listen, if you're here this morning and anger's made a mess in your life, God's not pleased with that. He's probably letting you kind of pay for that a little bit. But don't see that as him not loving you. His grace is always for you. His love is unfailing and his desire is for you to be right with him. Again, I pray that you're that way that you choose that way today. Take a walk down the hallway to your father's office and put this anger to bed. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for your word and a chance to open it and hear from you on a subject that is so prevalent. It's just in everybody's life, no matter what age or stage we're in in life, uh, anger is going to come. Help us to handle it, God, in a way that honors you. Help us to see your hand in every phase of our life. And allow, you know, God, help us to allow you to lead us through the things that bring anger to us. Forgive us, God, for where we've allowed anger to make a mess in our marriages, in our uh, relationships of any kind. 
Uh, and Lord, lead us out of that anger into peace and into righteousness so that you get the glory that you deserve from us, your created. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to deal with your anger and you want to find a place to start, come and talk to me or some of our prayer partners. We'd love to help you with that. Otherwise, have a great day. God bless you as you go.